0: Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, July 7th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace.
1: And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's headlines. The CIA is accused of engaging in a clandestine war with Russia.
0: A Trump aide pleads not guilty in a Florida classified documents case.
1: The DOJ reveals more details related to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant.
0: Biden voices support for Sweden's NATO membership.
1: The Dow Index plunges 500 points.
0: The U.S. accuses Russia of harassing its drones in Syria.
1: Hong Kong arrests five for allegedly aiding activists abroad.
0: Canada says it will stop advertising with Meta.
1: Nearly half of U.S. drinking water is found to contain potentially harmful chemicals.
0: And a study suggests the brain-boosting benefits of exercise are negated by a lack of sleep.
1: In our first story, a report reveals the extent of the CIA's Ukraine involvement. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Jack Murphy and Newsweek. An investigation published by Newsweek this week confirmed that America's CIA has been engaged in a clandestine war with Russia since the outset of the war in Ukraine. According to intelligence officials who spoke with the publication, the CIA has taken on an outsized role in the conflict, but is reportedly losing its grip. The report is not the first to provide evidence of the CIA's involvement in the war. Last December, an investigation by independent journalist Jack Murphy revealed that the CIA and an undisclosed NATO ally were allegedly together responsible for a number of acts of sabotage, including fires and explosions at warehouses, ammunition stores, and fuel depots, as well as train derailments inside of Russia. However, Newsweek's investigation sheds further light on the involvement of the CIA, One senior intelligence official said there is a clandestine war with clandestine rules underlying all of what is going on in Ukraine. The official added that outside its primary role of intelligence collector, the CIA took on a number of additional roles such as facilitating weapons shipments and coordinating with NATO allies, in addition to working to keep the war from spinning out of control. According to the report, the CIA's involvement in Ukraine began prior to the war, with the agency's director, William Burns, a former U.S. ambassador to Russia, traveling to Moscow for talks with Kremlin officials in November of 2021. One official said the meeting was highly successful, adding that although war ultimately broke out, Russia and the U.S. agreed to abide by unwritten rules of intelligence cultivated between the countries over decades, with Moscow agreeing to limit its assault. Meanwhile, according to the report, Ukraine also unofficially agreed with the U.S. not to strike inside Russian territory, a pledge that has been increasingly ignored by Ukraine. Cross-border attacks into Russia are now frequent, and Ukraine has allegedly attempted and carried out multiple assassinations on Russian soil. One U.S. intelligence official added, I hesitate to say that the CIA has failed, but warned that, if left unchecked, Ukraine's cross-border attack into Russia could have disastrous consequences. According to the report, the CIA maintains no more than 100 operatives inside Ukraine at any one time.
0: All right. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. Now our narrative spins start with the pro-establishment narrative from Newsweek. The CIA is playing a very delicate and important role in Ukraine. Not only is it ensuring Ukraine remains armed and that NATO allies are all on the same page, but most importantly, it's keeping the war from spiraling out of control.
1: Here's the establishment critical narrative from The Daily Caller. With Ukraine ignoring its deal with America not to strike inside Russian territory, the CIA has severely miscalculated. These attacks risk grave consequences by taking the conflict to a whole new level.
0: And from time to time, we have nerd narratives from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 4% chance that Russia will annex any part of any Baltic country by 2035. Melissa, do you watch The Office?
1: I used to, yes.
0: Yeah. So do you remember there was a, after Michael left, uh, Will Farrell was the boss for like a mini series of a few episodes?
1: Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, D'Angelo Vickers was his character's name. And (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's a good name. He looked like he was going to be, you know, an effective but, you know, difficult boss to get along with, you know, kind of opposite of Michael. And then finally, once Michael is gone and it's D'Angelo's gonna be the boss like he's this now we're stuck with this guy and he's a psycho and i remember both dwight and jim look at each other and they're like "Uh uh-oh now we got to deal with this i hope yeah i mean it's been said many times but i hope ukraine is not d'angelo vickers
1: (laughs) right there with you scott
0: okay good it's a cliche for a reason yeah
1: yeah yeah maybe this will be the last time we say that
0: let's hope yeah Trump aide Nada pleads not guilty in classified documents case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, NBC, Fox News, Daily Wire, and Daily Caller. Walt Nada, the personal aide to former President Donald Trump, pleaded not guilty on Thursday at Miami Federal Court to six charges, accusing him of conspiring with Trump to conceal classified documents the former president took to his Mar-a-Lago home after leaving office in 2021. It was unknown whether Nada had found legal counsel putting his appearance in question. Nada's first arraignment was postponed since he didn't have a permanent Florida attorney, and his second was delayed due to weather. However, Nada hired Sasha Dodin to represent him. Dodden, a former public defender, appeared alongside Nada's Washington based lawyer Stanley Woodward, who entered the not guilty plea on his client's behalf. The hearing lasted only five minutes, and Nada only uttered three words Yes, your honor which he said when the judge asked him if he had reviewed the indictment. NADA faces criminal charges of conspiracy to obstruct justice, withholding and corruptly concealing documents, and making false representations. While Trump pled not guilty to 37 charges brought by special counsel Jack Smith last month. The indictment claims NADA moved 64 boxes, some containing classified documents from the Mar-a-Lago storage room to Trump's personal residence at the resort. If convicted, NADA faces up to 90 years in prison. This comes as, on Wednesday, the Justice Department released previously redacted parts of the warrant application used to search Mar-a-Lago last year. The unredacted portions reveal that a photograph of boxes of documents was the FBI's probable cause to raid the former president's residence.
1: Thank you for those facts, Scott. We'll begin with a pro-Trump narrative from PJ Media. We all know the powers that be are committed to taking out Trump at all costs, and this investigation is their latest attempt. However, it's puzzling to see the U.S. government and all its immensely powerful agencies going after a military veteran who served as an assistant to the president, showing that they'll stop at nothing to destroy those even at the bottom of the food chain if it means defeating Trump.
0: And Talking Points Memo brings us the anti-Trump narrative. Walt Nada has finally appeared after dodging arraignment twice. We all know Nada is a pawn for Trump, and it's not hard to imagine the feckless former president used his former aide's lack of an attorney to stall proceedings against him. Trump has continuously lashed out against America's justice system, and it wouldn't be surprising if he pulled out every trick to circumvent the law again.
1: And there's a nerd narrative here from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 28% chance that any U.S. court will rule that Donald J. Trump is disqualified from holding the presidency before January 20th, 2025. I was just kind of imagining what it it might feel like to um, be in a situation where your lawyers say, you may say, yes, your honor, and otherwise shut it.
0: If I was going to... Say that little in the courtroom. I would try to have a clean. If I'm going to say three words, I'm going to try to make it zero. Like I would bring one of those auction signs or something that just yeah. to like, yep, I acknowledge. You know, like like hold the sign up that I that just says yes, Your Honor, on it or something. Because yeah. if I'm going to say just three, I'm going to go for zero. I'm going to set a record.
1: Mm, yeah. So pull like a little wily e. coyote. Yeah.
0: Egg, now you see, that's exactly that's the exact image that I want. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Do you understand the charges against you? Uh, Let the record say. The defendant said yipes.
1: And continuing on the subject at our next story, the Department of Justice reveals more details of the Mar-a-Lago warrant. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Al Jazeera, Business Insider, The New York Times, and The Independent. On Wednesday, the DOJ released some previously redacted parts of the warrant application it used to get permission to search former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence last year. The decision followed an order earlier in the day from Judge Bruce Reinhardt of the Southern District in Florida, who rejected a request from media outlets to unseal the entire affidavit, but agreed to compel the DOJ to release more details. The unredacted portion detailed how the FBI's probable cause was a photograph of boxes of documents stacked in a storage unit, also explaining how investigators obtained footage from a security camera of the storage unit, including video of people leaving with boxes. The saga began after Trump returned 15 boxes of government records to the National Archives in January 2022. However, the boxes contained classified documents, prompting prosecutors to subpoena Trump in May to return more boxes. The FBI subsequently searched Trump's home in August, turning up more than 100 classified documents he had yet to return. Trump, who pleaded not guilty, was indicted on 37 counts in relation to the documents found in the 2022 search, including obstruction of justice, concealing documents, and making false statements. The first U.S. president to face federal charges in history.
0: Thanks for those developing facts, Melissa. We have a Democratic narrative from Alternet. For those doubting the legitimacy of the FBI Mar-a-Lago raid or the charges against Trump, these unredacted portions of the affidavit explain how much the former president was doing to move and hide these highly sensitive documents. And yet, there are still so many redactions, there's no telling what other evidence the DOJ has against
1: Trump's crimes. The New York Post brings us a pro-Trump narrative. One can't trust what the Biden-DOJ put in an affidavit. The administration and Democrats are in the midst of a witch hunt against the leader for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination because they know they have little chance of beating him. The former president says he declassified the documents, so there's no case against him.
0: And we have another nerd narrative. The community at Metaculus predicts that there's a 34 percent chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated by the year 2030. Melissa, I'm going to uh, read 12 phrases to you, and you can tell me what they have in common.
1: Oh, God. Okay.
0: Almost exactly. Awfully good. Deafening silence. Freezer burn. Living dead. Loyal opposition. Old news. Only choice. Open secret. Pretty ugly. Same difference. And small crowd.
1: Oxymorons.
0: And I'm going to add to that list previously redacted. Something can't be, you can't, unredact something isn't that the mm. whole point i don't know i just <laughs> something i mean if you told me this is redacted and now it's not then it was was it ever redacted at all i would say no
1: somebody somebody used that um that white out that's actually like a tape strip that you can oh, yeah, Yeah, i don't trust that at
0: all yeah, yeah no i don't trust that I, if my white out can't get under my fingernails i'm not interested Biden voices support for Sweden's NATO bid ahead of a key summit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, the Associated Press, Guardian, PBS NewsHour, AFP, and Al Jazeera. On Wednesday, U.S. President Joe Biden welcomed Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson to the White House as he once again vocalized support for the Scandinavian state's potential accession to NATO. Sweden ended its over 200-year tradition of military non-alignment by applying to become a NATO member alongside Finland following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Finland was admitted in April this year, while Sweden has faced objections from Hungary and Turkey, with NATO requiring unanimous member approval for expansion. Turkey has opposed Sweden's ratification over allegations that it's sheltering members of groups such as the Kurdistan Workers' Party which Turkey considers a terrorist group. Hungary has indicated that it will follow Turkey's lead on the matter, with the latest NATO summit set to start next Tuesday in Vilnius, Lithuania. During public remarks in the Oval Office, Biden described Christensen as a valued friend, while the Prime Minister responded that Sweden highly appreciated Biden's strong support. During their private meeting, the two were believed to have discussed security, Russia's war in Ukraine, and China. Biden claimed that he was anxiously looking forward to the country's acceptance as Christensen described the Vilnius summit as an appropriate time for Sweden's accession. However, the Swedish prime minister acknowledged that only Turkey can make Turkey's decisions, with Ankara rebuking use of time pressure. In June 2022, both Sweden and Finland signed a trilateral memorandum with Turkey to help resolve their objections. However, Turkey critiqued the applicant over two recent instances of Quran burning in Sweden, with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan stating that Islamophobia and terrorism are our red line.
1: Those were the facts, and we'll begin this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative from Bloomberg. For the sake of Western unity and strength, Hungary and Turkey must drop their vetoes and allow Sweden to become a member of NATO. Sweden has accepted a plethora of Turkish demands. And if the two states continue to oppose Sweden's accession, both Turkey's and Hungary's loyalty to the organization will be drawn into question.
0: And Daily Sabah brings us the establishment critical narrative. Turkey, having sided with the Western Bloc in the aftermath of World War II, has become an important NATO member and provides a key security cushion in the Black Sea. In return, Turkey rightfully conditions Sweden's ratification on the ending of Islamophobia and PKK activities in the state. Sweden has not achieved this, and the U.S. is racing against time to avoid embarrassment at the next summit.
1: And the nerds are at it again from Metaculus, This one says there's a 60 percent chance that Sweden will join NATO before 2024.
0: I like the idea of requiring a unanimous um, decision.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. That's that's rare,
0: and, and that doesn't mean that someone has to agree. They just have to agree to go along, and then right. maybe next time someone will go along with their thing that no one else right. can agree on, or something. Like it, it it does put a level of accountability on the whole thing. I mean, I de- you know that's what a jury is supposed to be too is uh, unanimous.
1: Even if you have some hesitations, you are. You're still accepting responsibility for right. Your and your if vote.
0: all eleven of you guys say this, then I guess I'm going to go too. And I'm with you, and I'll deal with the consequences. I mean, I, I guess it breaks down. I bet you there's some study or some mathematical law where you know over a certain number of members, a unanimous thing just like can't work. You know, if you had to get a hundred out of a hundred,
1: or a mm. thousand
0: out of a thousand, or a million out of a million, like that doesn't work. But if you right. have to get NATO, I I think that's a good. It should be unanimous.
1: That sounds like something to ask Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah.
0: Next time I talk to him, I'll ask him.
1: Ask Malk, would you? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) M.G.,
0: what's up with the unanimous stuff?
1: I I know he listens to this podcast, so Uh, Malcolm, if you wouldn't mind writing in the comments.
0: He's probably not listening today. He's an Adam guy.
1: The Dow plummets as investors await the next Fed move. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes. CNBC, and the New York Post. The Dow Jones Industrial Average Stock Index plummeted by over 500 points, or 1.5%, by mid-Thursday in response to a better-than-expected U.S. job growth report. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ also dropped 1.3% and 1.5% respectively. Stocks recovered slightly by the closing bell to around a 350-point end-of-day drop. According to payment processing firm ADP, private sector jobs increased by 497,000 in June, the largest gain since July 2022, and more than double the Dow consensus estimate of 220,000, and much more than the 267,000 additional jobs in May. Alongside the jobs report, which coincided with a survey showing more Americans filed for unemployment, estimates of a 95% chance of another quarter-point Federal Reserve interest rate hike also spooked investors. The move will likely come at the Fed's next meeting on July 26. The Fed has hiked interest rates from near zero to 5.25% over the past 16 months, though stocks have recovered well. For example, the S&P is up 25% since last September, when rates were approximately 200 basis points lower. Stocks hit particularly hard included ExxonMobil due to lower natural gas profits and oil refining margins, as well as chip makers Qualcomm and Intel due to U.S. sanctions on Chinese imports. MetaPlatform's stock fell as well, despite the launch of its Threads app.
0: The Left Narrative spin on this story comes from the New York Times. Today's recession alarmists are similar to the old-school gold standard obsessives, except this time it's Silicon Valley's elite who are pushing the conspiracy that government spending can't help with inflation. The facts are that the U.S. still hasn't hit a recession, and although not quite where we want it to be, inflation is going down, even alongside a strong job market. The economic data coming from the government is real, but it's pointing to the opposite of the gloomy picture being painted.
1: The right narrative comes from the New York Post. Despite left-wing rhetoric about Bidenomics, the facts are that the stock market has shrunk 10% since 2022. The average monthly mortgage payment has jumped from $1,100 to $2,200, and even as inflation slowly goes down, the prices of goods have been so deeply embedded in the economy that regular Americans will feel them for a long time. This all stems from Biden's original $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, but has worsened under his continued reckless spending as well as rising interest rates.
0: And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculous. They say there's a 50% chance that the U.S. Fed funds rate will be no less than 3% on December 31st, 2023. How are you and your family, Melissa, feeling this, uh, Economy.
1: We're just kind of riding the, the roller coaster of what's happening to the world without right. doing a whole lot of squirreling away. So, um, yeah, we have an old house that we yeah. moved into during COVID and said, mm, you know, we kind of sniffed the air and said, mm, this house has two years before it needs repairs. And damn, <laughs> did we hit that off the, on the head? But yeah, so, you know, things falling apart all at the same time is, is, is part of that extra money. Uh, that's not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I guess you should feel good that your prediction was correct. You know, there's something to be said for being right.
1: I guess. But unless you don't do anything about it, then there's not yeah. really much yeah. <laughs> much purpose yeah. to do. As it. your
0: house crumbles around you, you can tell yourself I told you so.
1: <laughs> I like to hold a grudge against myself. So I do like just oh, yeah. stick that in the back of my head like when I When I mess this up, I'm going to rub it in my own face.
0: I am going to stick it to me so hard. Yeah, I can't (laughs) wait to put me in my place. The U.S. accuses Russia of harassing drones in Syria. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC News, The National, Al Arabia, CNN, Al Jazeera, and The Guardian. The U.S. Air Force on Wednesday released video footage it says showed Russian fighter jets flying dangerously close to several unmanned U.S. drones over Syria, forcing them to fly evasive maneuvers. The Russian military aircraft were harassing three U.S. MQ-9 drones on an undisclosed mission against the Islamic State in Syria, according to Air Force Lieutenant General Alex Gernkiewicz, who condemned the Russian pilots' unsafe and unprofessional conduct. The footage showed Russian jets releasing several parachute flares in the drone's flight path and a Russian pilot positioning his aircraft in front of an MQ-9 and turning on the afterburner, making it more difficult to control the drone. Gurnkovich said the pilot's actions threatened the safety of U.S. and Russian forces calling on the Russian military to cease this reckless behavior and adhere to the norms of conduct of a professional air force so we can resume our focus on the enduring defeat of ISIS. In a similar incident in March, Russian fighter jets forced down an Air Force MQ-9 drone over the Black Sea after intentionally and repeatedly dumping fuel on the aerial device. The jets eventually damaged the drone's propeller, according to the U.S. military. Washington maintains about 900 military personnel in northeastern Syria as part of a U.S.-led anti-IS coalition that is under increasing pressure, including from Iran-backed forces opposed to the presence of Western troops in Iraq and Syria.
1: Thank you for those facts. Business Insider brings us a pro-establishment narrative. The increasingly hostile actions of Russian pilots indicate growing weakness in the Russian military, which is pulling units out of Syria to redirect them into the Ukraine war. Moscow wants to signal its advantageous position in Syria to Washington and prompt America to withdraw. However, the fact that the U.S. recently redeployed F 22 fighter jets to the Middle East shows that the West will not give in to Russian harassment tactics and will continue to lead the fight against terrorism. And the
0: establishment critical narrative is brought to us by Eurasian Times. While incidents of provocative behavior by Russian pilots are exaggerated in the media, the truth is that drones led by the U.S.-led so-called anti-terror coalition are also flying aggressive maneuvers against the Russian military in Syria, thereby violating deconfliction protocols. There are also indications that the U.S. military is training Islamist extremists to destabilize the Assad government.
1: And there's another nerd narrative. This one says there's a four percent chance that there will be a deadly clash between U.S. and Russia armed forces before 2024. That's according to the Metaculus prediction community.
0: It's gonna be some weird drone thing that sets off everything, right? It's gonna we're gonna look back in the history books if anyone even exists anymore. Like, so what happened? Well. A guy mooned a drone and (laughs) just went from there. It's like, is there a way
1: I can form a butt with this jet engine cloud?
0: (laughs) That will be our Archduke Ferdinand. Like, what happened? Well, guy pressed his cheeks up against a drone camera. That's that's how it happened. (laughs) Then the the Balkans exploded. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Five people are arrested in Hong Kong for allegedly aiding activists abroad. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Voice of America, South China Morning Post, the Hong Kong Free Press, the Associated Press and BBC News. Between Wednesday and Thursday, Hong Kong police arrested five men for alleged conspiracy to sedition and conspiracy to collude with foreign forces by financially supporting activists abroad. They face accusations of publishing posts with seditious intent online and operating companies, social media platforms, and mobile apps to secure funds to assist people who have fled Hong Kong, allegedly endangering national security. All five are reportedly former members of the defunct Demo Sisto Party, including former leader Yvonne Lam, who allegedly collected funds on behalf of former party chairman and UK-based Wanted activist Nathan Law. According to a police statement, they have been detained for questioning while the investigation remains ongoing and further arrests haven't been ruled out. This comes as on Monday, Hong Kong police accused eight overseas activists, including Nathan Law, of violating the national security law and offered unprecedented rewards of $1 million Hong Kong dollars, or 127000 U.S. dollars, for information leading to their arrests. The Beijing-imposed national security law came into effect in June 2020 in the Special Administrative Region of China, with police reportedly having since arrested 260 people for violating it.
0: All right, thanks for that rundown, Melissa. Global Times brings us the pro-China narrative. Law enforcement authorities in Hong Kong are taking the necessary measures within the law to dissuade infamous anti-China disruptors from engaging in activities endangering national security, both at home and overseas. Fugitives have been put on the wanted list to defend national sovereignty, and their financial backers have been identified and detained.
1: The Economist brings us an anti-China narrative. Once a stable jurisdiction that respected the rule of law, Hong Kong has become an authoritarian state that operates with few legal restraints when it comes to crushing dissent at home and abroad. The likely ineffective cash bounty scheme on self-exiled dissidents and these subsequent arrests are just the latest sign of the deterioration of freedoms in the territory since the national security law came into force.
0: And we have another statistics-based nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 50% chance that Hong Kong will stop being a special administrative region of China by September of 2045. Canada to stop advertising with Meta. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBC, ABC News, The New York Post and BBC News. On Wednesday, Canada's federal government announced it would stand by its Online News Act, or Bill C-18, and stop advertising on Meta-owned platforms, including Facebook and Instagram, in response to the company's reaction to the law. The Online News Act, which takes effect at an unspecified date in the next six months, will require tech companies to pay media platforms for news. Meta recently announced it will restrict news content in Canada rather than deal with the law. The platforms stand to lose around $7.5 million if the government ceases paying for advertising. After the announcement, Quebec Premier François Legault tweeted that the province would also suspend advertising on Facebook and Instagram, and Montreal Mayor Valérie Plante said her city would follow suit. Canadian telecom companies Quebecor and Cogeco, which run radio stations in Quebec, also said they would stop advertising with meta-platforms. Although the Liberal and NDP parties said they would continue advertising on Meta platforms, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said he expects more governments and companies will stop their advertising in the coming days.
1: We'll start this round of spins with an establishment critical narrative from the Toronto Sun. The Canadian government is practicing what it preaches by pulling its ads from Meta. Though $10 million is nothing to the tech giant, the principle behind the move is what's most important. Canadian newspapers are drowning under the weight of social media, and there won't be any independent, objective outlets for Canadians to read unless the government steps in to help.
0: And BBC brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Social media platforms have no choice but to restrict Canadian news content in the face of an unworkable bill that hasn't taken the tech company's suggestions into consideration. Canada is only hurting itself because now the country's major media associations and outlets will lose the traffic Google and Meta generate. The government should negotiate a better deal with these companies.
1: A study finds that forever chemicals are found in 45% of U.S. drinking water. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, The Hill, CNN, and USA Today. A study from the U.S. Geological Survey released on Wednesday shows that 45% of drinking water in the U.S. likely contains PFAS, also referred to as forever chemicals. The study examined samples from taps around the country between 2016 and 2021. PFAS are a group of thousands of chemicals that bioaccumulate instead of breaking down over time and have been linked to ailments such as kidney such as kidney and testicular cancer, thyroid disease, and high cholesterol. Federal and state water testing typically examines PFAS at wastewater treatment or groundwater testing sites, while the USGS study looked at PFAS at 716 taps in houses, offices, and schools. The sites tested include areas with no identified sources of PFAS, as well as locations using private wells. The areas with the highest concentrations of PFAS are the Great Plains, the Great Lakes, the eastern seaboard, and central Southern California, the study says, with levels comparable between well water and public supply. Areas in proximity to PFAS producing industries also had high levels of contamination. 75% of water in urban areas tested positive for forever chemicals, compared to a 25% rate of detection in rural areas. Of the 32 kinds of forever chemicals tested for, levels in every sample that detected PFAS exceeded Interim Environmental Protection Agency guidelines, which were released in March. The EPA proposed limits on six types of PFAS in drinking water for the first time in March, with the final decision expected by 2024 at the latest. In June 2022, the EPA issued a health advisory that warned that PFAS are more harmful to humans than previously thought, as a 2019 study purported to find PFAS in 98% of the U.S. population.
0: Well, thanks for those sad and disgusting facts, Melissa. We have a Narrative A from the CBC. We are witnessing an environmental and health disaster unfold in real time as more revelations about the deleterious effects of PFAS become known to the public. Polluting industries obfuscated the horrifying reach of their products, which include our own bloodstreams. We are due for a reckoning over the extent of corporate greed and negligence, and we need to mobilize our resources to mitigate the effect of PFAS ASAP and punish those responsible for their proliferation.
1: Bloomberg brings us an errand of B. The push to clean up forever chemicals benefits from a scary name and compelling narrative of corporate greed, but PFAS are far from the most dangerous pollutant in our water supply. In most areas, disinfection byproducts are 1,000 times more prevalent and more toxic than PFAS, but receive little mainstream attention. As concern over PFAS reaches a fever pitch, we risk diverting limited resources from the myriad of other, more realistic threats to our drinking water.
0: I, I did notice I watched a Venus Williams Instagram earlier today and she was showing her morning routine or something and uh, she had a very like retro chic like wood paneled kitchen. It was it was cool. Oh, anyway. Nice. Anyway,
1: does she have does she also have a reverse osmosis filtration system in her home?
0: I mean, she might, but she was using fancy bottled water for her morning routine. So okay. she was pouring a glass bottle of super fancy water into a glass and then squeezing vitamins and lemons and stuff into it. That was her morning routine.
1: Okay, um, gotcha.
0: So she ain't drinking. I'm sure she lives in a very nice neighborhood, but she ain't drinking her tap water. So that should tell you something. I want, I want some of what Venus is having. Let me say that. Our final story, a study claims lack of sleep negates the cognitive benefits of exercise in middle-aged people. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardians, Scripps News, and CNN. According to a UK study published Wednesday, adults over 50 who had higher levels of frequent and intense exercise while getting less than an average of six hours of sleep a night had a faster cognitive decline than those who got more sleep while exercising less frequently. The study's lead author, Dr. Michaela Bloomberg of University College London, says their research suggests that sufficient sleep may be required to receive the, quote, full cognitive benefits of exercise. The study tracked 9,000 British adults taking part in the English Longitudinal Study of Aging over 10 years, with researchers cognitively testing and interviewing participants every two years. The results excluded adults with dementia or serious cognitive decline. Dr. Bloomberg explained that previous studies on sleep, exercise, and cognitive function only focused on particular moments of time, while this new longitudinal research shows that exercise might not counter the long-term effects of sleep deprivation, something she says researchers were surprised by. At the beginning of the study, those who exercised more had better cognitive function regardless of their sleep habits, while declines began in the physically active short sleepers by their 50s and 60s. For people aged 70 and over, exercise was found to benefit cognitive function regardless of sleep habits. Study co-author Professor Andrew Steptoe highlighted the need to identify more factors that may contribute to cognitive decline beyond physical activity, noting that the sleep hygiene of patients should be taken into consideration.
1: Thanks for that, Scott. We'll begin with a Narrative A from The Guardian. This study helps reaffirm what we know about sleep and cognitive function, as this woefully neglected aspect of our health gets the attention that it deserves. Sleep is a vital restorative process that flushes out toxic proteins that accumulate in our brain throughout the day. A cleaning process that slows down as we age. Improving sleep quality in older adults could be a crucial piece of the puzzle when it comes to their cognitive health.
0: And New Scientist takes us home with Narrative B. While the plethora of studies surrounding cognitive decline and lifestyle seem promising, dementia is nonetheless an unpreventable condition, and media reporting on the matter may give people false hope about this frightening illness. Observational studies are less valuable than randomized trials, and an intractable chicken or the egg problem emerges when studying lifestyle and cognitive function. Do healthy habits reverse or prevent cognitive decline? Or are people with cognitive decline less likely to have healthy habits? All right. You're my health professional. What's going on
1: here? <laughs> it, it is true. I actually learned recently that our brain swells when we sleep. And they're talking mm. about in that first narrative about this kind of toxic flushing at night, right? There's like a vasodilation and uh, and your brain kind of like sweeps out all the crud mm. when you sleep. So yeah, that's really important. And I also just thought that was really cool that our brain just swells and then goes back to normal in the morning.
0: I wonder how long, I'm, I'm not asking for an answer unless you have one, <laughs> how long does it take for your brain to go back to normal? Like, is that why when we wake up at certain times, like we just can't have it because our brain is in the middle of, of oh, swelling? Oh,
1: that's, that's a really good question. You're, you're saying like each night as, you know, does the brain calm down at like yeah. 6 a.m. or thing?
0: I guess coffee is a vaso... Is a vaso restrictor, so that would get your brain back into order, I guess, in a in a violent way.
1: <laughs> right, right, as coffee tends to do. I can really go for some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, July seventh, twenty twenty three.
0: Each day, we use machine learning to read about five thousand articles from about one hundred newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.